0: Uh, the book of Ephesians has worked out kind of this this brilliant rhythm that we've talked about since the very beginning. The first three chapters of Ephesians talk about who we are in Christ and who God is through Christ. And, and we get this this foundation of what it means for us to be seated with Christ and to be partnered with the kingdom work and what God has says about us and the truth about who we are, what God's word says about us. And then the, the last three chapters are kind of the application we see in chapter 4, this turning to walk with the Lord. And, and what does it mean for us as a seat, in a seated position with the Lord, to walk with the Lord at the same time? And then chapter 6, talks about this standing and so we've been working through the standing um, we've been working through the armor of God uh, we all we started this at the beginning of kind of chapter 6 verse 10 we see that there's a a battle going on this imagery of we do not we are not at war against flesh and blood but we are at war against spiritual forces that are out to destroy us and so we've talked about that and then um, two weeks ago, we hit the uh, sh- the breastplate of righteousness and the the belt of truth, and and then the the the, the shoes of peace, the gospel of peace that are- that walks in that way. And Danny worked through that a couple weeks ago. And today, we're going to hit a few more. And I think it's it's important for us before we di- dive in. To remember one thing is is I don't think as much as this imagery is is really fun and and it helps us kind of see what's going on and understanding it, I think a lot of times if we're not careful, we we picture ourselves actually having aspects of the armor off. The reality and the truth is is that the way that God says this, the way the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, speaks this to us, is that the entirety of the armor is on us if we are in Christ. So when I submit myself to to Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life, I am clothed not only in righteousness of Jesus Christ, but I'm clothed in the armor. And then the, the call and the, the, the pressing that the Apostle Paul does for us is, is urges us to stand in this. It's a posture of, of hold your ground. Don't fall back when the attacks come in this way. And so we're going to look at a few more of these pieces of armor. But before we do, uh, I want to ask, and this is first service did a really good job of showing hands, so I want to encourage you guys. Show of hands here, how many of you have ever doubted God raise your hand if it's ever happened in your life okay I think most people have okay um how many of you have ever doubted your own salvation raise your hand if that's true at some point in your life you've doubted your salvation okay great how many of you um have really truly like at times doubted God's word You're like is this really truth like 100 percent truth raise your hand okay, want, real quickly everyone put your hands up just put your hands up and look around okay it's pretty much all of us. Some of us are just embarrassed, and we're introverted, and that's okay. I'm not, so, but the reality is, is that all of us have had these doubts or these fears or these questions. Some of us right now are in the middle of that doubting or those questions and those fears. And what I, what I wanted to, to, to urge you and, and push on you with is at the beginning of this kind of armor of the God, the Apostle Paul is, is pushing on us, letting us know that we're at war, that there's an enemy that is out there and his desire is to steal anything from us. Like Danny said a couple weeks ago, the, the goal of the enemy, the goal of Satan and, and his demonic forces is to, is to basically put us in a position where we become obsolete for God's kingdom. The truth of God's word is this, is that we, as his children, cannot be snatched out from his hands. It does not matter how hard the enemy presses. As, you, as a child of God, if you are clothed in his righteousness, you are his forever. He will not lose you. He will never forsake you, never leave you. But the enemy desires and pushes for us to be obsolete pushes for us to, to not have any kind of working or value for the kingdom purposes that we're supposed to be doing right now. And so in light of that, in light of those questions, I want to dive in, chapter 6, verse 16. Why don't you read this with me real quick? In all circumstances, now I'm going to pause right there because some of you are reading out of a version that says, above all. And I want to just say that this translation is substantially better than Above all. So, so this, this scripture right here, the way it says it, in all circumstances, that's truly the way the Greek was meant to be set here. Some have said above all, the shield is somehow more important than everything else. That's not the case. But there is a clause, a push for in all circumstances, take up. Okay? So in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so we see these three things. We see the, the shield of faith, we see the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and we see the helmet of salvation. And we see him kind of talking about each one of these things. And so there is some some definition that needs to come from this. The, the shield of faith, and he says why. Here's, here's why to take the shield of faith up. Because the flaming flaming darts, the flaming um, missiles of the enemy are going to come at you. It's you know The best way you can think of it is in, in this day, people would pull arrows. If you've seen any movie with... with Old Roman guard or anything, they dip it in tar or something really sticky, and they fling it down at the people with their shields. In fact, just picture this. You're camping with children, and you're around a campfire, and you're doing s'mores. Okay? It's very similar to that. You know, like the, the missiles, they kind of stick and spread, and the idea was that fire would then go, and that's, that's essentially how they do that. That's what that's looking like. But what's really interesting is this imagery that the Apostle Paul does is, is specifically around a Roman guard, which he was pretty much chained to one while he was writing this letter to to the ephesians he's he's spent a lot of his life in rome and growing up in that way and so he's seen the commonality of a roman soldier but but what's really interesting is that the apostle paul the word for shield here isn't the common shield you'd normally do if you've seen a gladiator movie or anything else there's usually the the round shield right it's got the the metal in the in the middle or it's covered it's kind of wood or whatever maybe it it was it was a combat shield That was the most common shield. That was a shield you'd see most every single Roman soldier walking the streets with. That was the shield. But the word that the Apostle Paul uses for here for shield is the other word, which encompasses the two-and-a-half-foot-wide, four-and-a-half-foot-tall shield. It had a slight curve to it, made out of two planks, would be covered in leather that would be soaked in water so that when the flaming darts came, they would hopefully be extinguished and there would always be some metal in it, weighing a ton of weight. I mean, a ton of weight. And that's the word for the shield he uses here. Now, we can't see this imagery all the way through because, like we said, I don't think we take each individual piece of armor off. But I think the Apostle Paul uses this shield for a very, very specific reason. So I'm going to dive into that, and then we'll talk about the rest of these because it's super important. First off, the, uh, the god of Artemis, we've talked about her in the past. She was kind of this goddess that everyone in Ephesians um, followed. One of the things that she was known for, there's this, there this kind of this tale that would work its way through where um, some individuals apo- uh, approached Apollo, another god, and he said, if you don't uphold the rituals of Artemis, the flaming arrows will come at you. And so she was envisioned as this woman with a quiver full of flaming arrows that she could shoot at you and there would be all sorts of trouble in your life. So again, I think the Apostle Paul is, is playing on the imagery of what's going on in Ephesus at the time, but it's really unique that he uses this shield. See, the reason why I think he uses this shield is because the shield of faith isn't, first off, is that the Scriptures teach that our faith is, is given to us from the Lord. So it's not, it's, not even, it's not even my faith, it's been given to me by God. One of the other things that the scriptures speak specifically about this attribute, more so than any other one, is that my faith is not for myself. In fact, we see in this scripture, where I'll get there in just a second, but we also see in Hebrews that I'm called to pass on my faith. I'm called to to, to live out my life in a way where I'm imparting the faith of God on others. So the way that I operate and live isn't just individually, it's communal. And I've said this from the very beginning of Ephesians. When we look at the first chapter, I've said, you need to insert your name, that you are holy and blameless and you are righteous. But what does he always say in that? He says, us, us. God has made us. He has given us every spiritual blessing. He has instilled us as holy and blameless. He has, from the very beginning of this book, been speaking communally, meaning to the entirety of people. Well, in, in our culture, in our day and age, more than ever, we are individualistic to a fault. Think about, like, even thinking about the camp out, Right? No one can share stuff. I mean, people are doing it, but everyone wants to have the same stuff. So it's like, well, I'm going to go buy one too because I need to have it. In the way we buy stuff, it's individualistic. In the way we operate, it's individualistic. In fact, we would pat someone on the back culturally saying, wow, you did that yourself. Good job. You're such a good person. You can do it on your own. Don't ever want to look weak or feel like you might struggle to to be on your own. And so we, we fight individualistic. In fact, we sin and we believe that our sins only affect us. In fact, I see this all the time in marriages, all the time in marriages. A husband or wife is making some choices contrary to God's word, and they're thinking that it's just their own issues. And they think, oh, it's not really going to fully affect us. And then if you can get them to understanding that this will actually affect your spouse, they don't ever think about the fact that this affects everyone else. Why do I go here? Well, this Roman shield was very, very specific. It was for the front lines of battle. And it was, it was very, very specific. If you study Roman um, military, they were so strategic and so well trained. It was their life as a soldier to just train and train and train and train. And so they knew that this shield meant something very, very specific. It meant that it was not supposed to be on its own. This shield was to work with everyone else. When I held this shield, I was relying on it sitting just over my body, not covering my full, but close to, but then the shield of my partner next to me was going to butt up. And be right next to me and there would be this wall sometimes a mile long depending upon the battle just a wall of shields and then it wasn't didn't stop there it took the individuals that were standing behind me with their shields and if you've ever seen a movie they would take their huge shield and they pulled up over their heads and so there'd be a little curve for the first person in the front to see where they're going where they're stepping and they only ever stepped in order no one ever got out it never went kind of crazy like you know like kindergarten lineup kids like going every which way. No, it was like, like every single person moved in step. It was a wall moving forward. And the shield were over the top to, to protect against the darts, that were, the flaming missiles, as they called them, the, the arrows coming in to protect them from there. And if, if by chance, one of those individuals fell, the individuals behind them would grab this soldier, pull him back, and then another would take his position. And they would continue to take him back. If he was dead, they would just kind of Move on. If he wasn't, they would move him back further and further until he could get out of the fire and be safe. This structure, this strategy, only worked if every single person played their part, which every single opposing army knew about the Romans. Is if they could just get one spot to crack, that's all they needed. Similarly, when the when the when the guards were getting ready to stand, if if um, someone was charging them, the soldier behind the front line would take his shield and press it into the back. Of the soldier in front of him, so he would just lean against it so he could hold with his with his spear out and just take the hit of horses and everything else coming, because he had more strength than standing himself. It was a, a brilliant fighting strategy, but it relied completely on every other person. The whole I got this my own didn't work in this setting. Because if they broke at all, they were susceptible and vulnerable. And this is why I think the Apostle Paul uses this shield. Because he's trying to help instill in the people in Ephesians, which I believe to us today too that you are not on your own. You are not some individual fighting by yourself, standing hoping that you can just stand there. No, you are you are so susceptible to attack, so vulnerable, because this shield wasn't meant to fight with a sword. It was too big. You needed the structure. They called it the Roman turtle. It was kind of the way they would walk. They were fully covered. Your faith, your journey, your your experiences, your walk with the Lord is not meant to be alone. Now, if I'm the enemy, and I'm trying to press on you to help you, like Every single person here pretty much raised their hand. Doubt your faith? What am I going to do? I'm going to try and get you as isolated as possible. I'm going to try and pull you away from community for a justifiable reasons. Wow, we're just too busy. We just got too many things to do. and right? You know what? I didn't really feel it with that group of people. Or they just wouldn't understand because my context is different. Anyone would just breathe these lies to you that seemed almost like truth to isolate you. So you're out alone. Why? So you're obsolete. And, and if, you've, if you've spent any time in the church, you've seen this. We've seen where a section of people become obsolete and the, then the whole bride is susceptible to that lie. We've seen we've seen churches just crumble because of that. God is still building his church in spite of it. But we've seen this area where, where we are we are relying on each other. So this is what I want you guys to get, and we'll move on to this. I want you to think about this really clearly. When you sin, when you choose to step outside of God's will for your life, whether it's Lust, anger, pride, stealing, whatever it is, when you, stew, when you sin in some way that is contrary to God's word, I want you to realize that that sin, if you are in this body, affects every other person in this body. Because see, God has already told us that he's given us a spiritual gift to use. He's given us purposes to play our role. So you have a spot in that mile-long, wide um, wall of shields. You have a spot specifically to play a role. And when you sin, you are stepping out of, you are being wounded. Now, we aren't meant to shoot our wounded people. Instead, we are to support because we will get wounded. We will get hurt. We will make mistakes. But the reality is this, is that your sins affect other people. The same way, when we were, when we were up at the, the camp out and people were getting baptized, everyone's celebrating. Why? Because they're like, oh, that person got wet. Cool. No, they're celebrating because the fact is here's a life that's submitting them, themselves to the Lord. Here's a life that's, that's proclaiming the gospel through what they're doing. We're celebrating because we are celebrating together the work of God in the lives of individuals. So the shield of faith has just as much to do with the faith that God has given you as well as the faith that you are to keep with those around you. In fact, most of our issues, most of our doubts and our struggles are because we aren't willing to walk with someone else. We're too prideful. We say things like, well, isn't the Lord enough? Shouldn't he just be able to do this? Shouldn't he just be able to fix me in this? Well, I mean, theoretically, yes, he really could. But one of the ways in which he does it is by aligning you with other people. Why does he call us to pray for each other? And he could just do it himself. Why are there 59 one another commands in the New Testament? It kind of feels like we're not supposed to do this alone, but yet the enemy has lied to us, and we believe the lie. I can figure this out. I can do it on my own. In fact, just to give you an image, there's this wall of shields, and everyone's written in place, and about 100 yards to the right and about 20 feet forward is you sometimes standing there going, I hope I'm okay. You have the reality and the truth and of, of, of the fact that there is a protection in the body of the faith. And you are standing outside because you think you can do it on your own. That is just not the truth. Faith points us back to the beginning of the passage where Paul affirms that believers derive enabling strength from their union with the resurrected Christ in 6.10. But faith also points us to the end of the passage where Paul highlights the importance of prayer as a manifestation of the faith, which we'll get there in next week. Faith is, is a huge part. He goes on and he says the helmet of salvation. Um, this is This isn't, I don't think this necessarily is our salvation as a whole because it's like, oh, I'm saved, I'm not saved, I'm saved, I'm not saved. Like some of us maybe think of it that way. But I think what the scriptures are really saying here has more to do with assurance of our salvation. The assurance of my salvation that has been completed in the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the assurance of the promise of him to fulfill it to full completion in his glorious manifestation of coming again. So this is an assurance of faith. The helmet of salvation is something that we have and we wear because we can assure that this, this promise isn't built on what I do or don't do. This promise isn't, my, my, whether or not I'm following the Lord or not, isn't built on what I do and don't do. It's, it's built on Christ, and it's founded on Him. In fact, I said this about our faith. Um, faith is only as reliable and helpful as the trustworthiness of its object. And, and as Christians, our object of trustworthiness is Jesus Christ. So our faith is, is deep and powerful because of Christ. My assurance of my faith, my assurance of understanding the Lord is deep and powerful, not because of what I do, but because of Jesus Christ. So what is, real practically, what does the enemy love to do in our life? What do we do to ourselves? I got a question. This doesn't make sense. Or, you know, he'll say, you make us, you you sin. You you make a a mistake of something you said last week you would never do again. I'll never do that again! And then you sin. And then you know what the enemy starts whispering to you? you? Are you even saved? I mean, like you you keep, you keep doing this. How can, how can you really say that, you, that God is, is your king when you don't live underneath his lordship? How can, you keep, how can you keep saying that you're following me? And he just keeps whispering that. All the way back in the garden. He takes a truth and twists it. Hey, you know what? Satan, I think we need to agree with him. You're right. I just made a choice that was not operating underneath the umbrella of God's will. But my salvation is not held by my Do's and don'ts. It's held by the righteous king. We need to acknowledge the truth that, yeah, when I sin, I step outside of God's will for my life. I am deceived by by the enemy or by my selfishness or by my own pride. I am deceived by what God has told me I should be believing. I've been deceived from that. But in that moment, in that sin, in that choice, I'm not outside of who God has said I am as a child of his. I'm not removed from that. I'm not plucked out of that. So when he says put on the helmet of salvation, he's talking about the assurance we have in Christ. And a big part of that assurance comes, and this is, this is where I think that this gets attacked too, in other people. Because I think a lot of us have questioned the assurance of salvation of someone else. Like, I don't know if that dude's saved because, I mean, look at how they live. In almost a prideful and arrogant way. And I think because we see in some other people that possibly they may be wrong, well, where am I wrong? How could I be deceived? What, you know, I don't know. And ultimately what, what the Apostle Paul is telling us, our, our our salvation, our helmet of salvation is an assurance that's founded on Jesus Christ, not you. Like all of the armor, all of this armor, it's not our power, it's God's power. It's not, it's not my righteousness, it's his righteousness. And then I am deemed righteous. You've been deceived. The sword of the Spirit is the last thing he says here. He says in the sword of the Spirit, um, specifically he says, uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the gospel, which is the Word of God, which is interesting because a lot of people kind of, or scholars have tried to figure out exactly what this means. I think it's, it's pretty clear, at least in the original Greek here, that it's not saying that the, the Spirit is the sword, but that the sword of the Spirit is the, is the Scripture, or is, is the Word of God. We'll talk about that in a second. But it's that it's, it's, it's given, it's supplied by the Holy Spirit. So that what we gain from this is supplied by it. Now, there are two schools of thought in this in this sort of spirit idea. First off, which is really interesting, the the sword that he the word for the sword he's using is a very very short short sword, maybe even like a dagger. So it's something that maybe a Roman guard would have been carrying, but if he was carrying that shield, he would have had a a big old javelin spear or a long sword to fight past the shield. He may have still had a dagger in his in his back as a as a backup, but it's interesting that this is what he talks about because he's saying ultimately this is a close range battle. You don't pull this out unless you're Really close, and so there's two ways to understand this. This sort of spirit. There's the, there's one way which is specifically saying that when he says the word of God, that this is the proclamation of the gospel. This is me saying and sharing, evangelizing. And so the way that this can be seen is that this is one of the one of the armor pieces of armor that can truly be offensive. Because in, 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 if you think about it, it is me stepping out. When I proclaim the gospel to my brother or my sister or friends or or coworker. well, my co-workers, I hope we all say it, but you get it. But, um, but, um, or to anyone else for you guys in that matter, right? Like if, when I proclaim it, I'm stepping into the darkness. I'm stepping into the darkness and I'm wielding the sword of the spirit with the truth of God's word. And so I'm offensively coming in. And so it's the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's one way it can be meant. And then the other way it can be met is the defensive position, which is what most all of the other armors have been. And a defensive position is that when the enemy comes at me with thinking that is unhealthy, when the enemy comes at me that is with half-truths that are contrary to God's word, I defend it with the word of God. And the Apostle Paul says this is inspired word of God. In fact, Hebrews 4, 12 says, "...for the word of God is living and active." sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit. See, the Apostle Paul knows and says that this has been written, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So I think both are in mind here. I don't think it's one or the other, and most scholars agree with that, that it's, it's both an offensive, that it's a proclamation of the gospel, but it's also a defensive. What did What did Jesus do when the enemy spoke half-truths to him, when he tempted him? He misquoted Scripture, and Jesus came right back with, nope, here's how the scripture says it. Here's the truth that you're missing. And so he says it's the word of God. Now, the reason why I didn't split these up is because all three of these work brilliantly together. If you think about it this way, your doubts, that everyone raised their hand at the beginning, some of you maybe you are in the middle of it right now, your doubts, your distrusting God's goodness, your, your fears as to whether or not God's word is truly infallible, meaning not messed up, it's perfect. Your doubts, most all of them, are an issue with these three pieces of armor. Now, let me clarify something. There is nothing wrong with going, does it really say that? I don't, I don't really understand that. That kind of doubting is okay. It's the doubting going, well, I'm not sure if that's true, so it all must be not true. And God obviously isn't who he says he is. It's the abandonment of God's word. And see, this is why it works all together. Your faith is given to you from God. The assurance of your salvation is given to you from God. And how does he do it? Through the Spirit of God living inside of you, pointing you to the truth of God's Word. So you and I can stand in confidence without doubting our faith, without doubting our salvation, and, and without doubting our, any of those things because we have the very Word of God that the Holy Spirit inside of us is compelling and pleading for us to dig into and speak to us. Show of hands. This will be fun. How many of you have read a verse... A number of times. And then all of a sudden you read it and like it just blows your mind and drastically hits you in a totally amazing way. Has that ever happened? Raise your hand if that's ever happened. Look around. Guys, that is the Spirit of God alive in you. That is the Holy Spirit of God alive in you saying, I'm going to use this word for you today. I'm going to show you how your life has been deceived. I'm going to show you how you have missed the point. I'm going to show you what I'm trying to do to make you more and more and more like my son, Jesus Christ. So many of us are like, I want to feel the spirit more, but you never, ever, ever get in God's word. The only time that the the spirit is is equated to a sword in in scripture is here, and then when it's coming out of Jesus' mouth in Revelation. That's a fun one. Read that one. We have the word of God. And here's the thing, guys. I've had so many conversations with so many people over years, and, and it always comes down to the same thing. Something in our life doesn't feel right. And so we look to scriptures maybe flippantly or, or half-heartedly and say, that doesn't make sense. And so we turn to everything outside the scriptures. Why? Because at the, at the core of it, this, this armor of God has been placed on you by God because of what he's done and we so badly want to do stuff on our own, maybe sometimes misplaced or misguided excitement. But the reality is that we are so close. And at times, this is, this is so sad to me, is there are so many people that are deceived and they believe they're chasing truth. In fact, Origen and, and, um, and Jerome, two really, really old kind of fathers of faith, said it this way. In their interpretation, the arrows of, that believe, they believe them to be the devil's interjection of evil thoughts into the minds of believers. But... There's no reason to limit the metaphor to this one form of attack. In addition to this, the list could include persecution from political authorities, thoughts of accusation of sin that bring intense feelings of guilt, feelings or false teaching by those who claim to be Christians. That's a huge one today. Direct demonic attack through sickness and dreams and temptation to engage in behaviors displeasing to God. These guys wrote this years ago, and it's still very applicable today. Danny said it two weeks ago in his message he was talking about. He said that that Satan has been a part of every single civilization. So he knows how we work and he knows how we mistakes. And even with Adam and Eve, he didn't didn't come out and say, God did not say that. He questioned it. Did God really say that? I mean, does it? Does the Scriptures really teach that we need to be submitted to him in everything? I mean, like in everything? Does God's word really speak wholeheartedly to every single thing in the world? can it be applied is it living and act really everything i mean come on come on there's got to be some stuff that cultural it's going to be out of place and i'm not saying that there's not cultural things that we can understand here but do you see how the enemy twists that he starts twisting it and doubting and doubting and doubting and pretty soon you're off standing out 100 yards from the rest of the turtles, the, the roman turtle shell all by yourself and wondering why is it so hard why can't i get anywhere why does everything keep coming at me and and don't get me wrong you, you may be job right in the middle of the turtle shell and just everyone kind of turns on you, right? But you know what Job does to that whole thing is he never, ever, ever runs to anything but God. Out of this world, naked. I came into this world, out of this world, I'll go naked. Truth is it, why, why, I trust God's blessing. Why can't I trust what he takes from away from me? Like, what a humble posture. The issue is with these three things, and I, I know I'm oversimplifying this. I would love to give you, here are the six steps on how to put the helmet on and You know, it needs to fit this specific way, like not like my children where you buy them too big because you're too cheap and then they have to grow into them and then it sits on top of their head. Like, no, I wish I could give you some like, some steps on how to put this on, but the reality is is you're already clothed in it. You're already clothed in the armor of God. Yes, you can operate in ways outside of it at times. When I choose to go against the will of God, when I choose to willingly sin, let me just say that, willingly, because it is a choice. It is your choice and my choice to to sin. We choose our pride. We choose this sin. We choose that computer screen. We choose this fight and this anger. We choose. It feels good to get angry. We choose that. And when we choose that, what we're doing is we're saying, I want to, in some way, if I could, take off this righteousness and stand completely susceptible and vulnerable and naked. When the reality, which is, is, is mind-blowing, is that I'm still clothed in that righteousness even when I sin because it's not my doing that keeps it there. It's not my power that keeps it there; it's His. But I can tell you right now, we can operate in a way where we will be so much more susceptible. Matthew 24 talks about those that fall away; they've been deceived, they've been they've been scandalized. First John tells us that they were never of us. We see the soil that can come; that maybe it's been choked out. That ultimately, when we are of the Lord, we can be in there. But there are ways in which you and I can operate where we are completely obsolete to the kingdom of God. Still His child, still beloved. But obsolete. And let me just say that Some of us in our thinking, I think I have wonderful friends that have done this. Like They're just like, they're just heady. And they're in this like, oh, I don't know what this means. And they're studying and this is what it is. And obviously culture and they, they start pulling all this stuff out. And you know what happens? Is they use their intellect as an excuse to separate themselves from the faith of the Lord. Obviously these people over here have been wrong. These people are right. And we use it. And dare I say, you've been deceived. If your thought pattern, if you're, if you're looking at the scripture you're doing it alone or just doing it with people that agree with you because that's where they're at and not ever surrounding yourself with healthy believers to say well you know i mean that makes sense that's a hard one but what about this scripture you're just you're just kind of going at it alone let me tell you right now you are vulnerably open and you're being deceived we're meant to we're meant to be in love with god's word in fact that's why we're going into psalm 119 because i want us to be more in love with god's word But the reality is if you're just reading this as some kind of guideline that may or may not be helpful as opposed to the word of God that the Holy Spirit will speak to you through, as opposed to the sword of the Spirit, if you're just reading this just as like, oh, that's neat, interesting, I should just disseminate that information. And it's not bringing about a more proclamation of the greatness and grandness and glory of God in your life, then you're reading it wrong if you're just reading it alone and you're never ever discussing or talking about it with other healthy believers in your life and saying, man, when I read this, I'm really struggling with this. What does this mean? I I had a really funny one. I'm not going to say it because I don't want to send you all on this rabbit trail, but I had a really funny one where I was talking with um, Danny Pellegrini the other day. I was like, what is that all about? That makes no sense to me. In fact, it's really messed up. You know, like that's just really weird. And we were talking about it and wrestling with it. But if I'm not willing or able to do that, while being submitted to the fact that this is truly God's word and not what I say about it or what any other great theologian says about it, but this is God's word and the Holy Spirit that gives you all power of every spiritual blessing is inside of you as those that are surrendered to Jesus Christ can come to this and these will jump out alive. Because that is his purpose and his job. Instead, we want to abandon this for feelings. It just doesn't feel right. I want to feel more, so we abandon the word of God. And maybe I'm oversimplifying it when I say that pretty much all of our doubts, I know at least in my own life, all of my doubts are usually steeped in some fear or half-truth that I've believed. It's a complete lie. All of my doubts are usually because I'm prideful and I don't like to be wrong. My assumption is as the, as the band comes up, we're going we're to worship. My assumption is a lot of you are very prideful too. See, pride's a really, really funny thing. It's not like you just kind of walk along and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I just put on pride. It's crazy. I, just, I mean, I better get that off quickly. Usually, it's, it's a slow, painful thing that by the time you really realize that you are prideful, everyone around you has already known it for a long time. And I just, I just want to implore you, your doubts, your questions, your fears, God's Word speaks to them. Even the fact that you doubt that is, is probably an issue of this first three chapters of Ephesians not ringing true to you. So as you think about areas when you're doubting or struggling, if they're not sending you into God's word and they're not unifying you to God and they're not in full submission to him and the authority he has in your life, it's probably dangerous. I'm not saying don't question. I'm not saying don't wrestle. I'm not even saying like, man, I just don't know how to make sense of this. What I am saying is that you can't do that apart from the truth of who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and how he's placed us with others to do it with. He calls us to stand. I can't stand if I don't have him or you. It's a, it's a lie from the enemy to believe that I can stand on my own. And maybe some of you are like, well, I've been doing it for years. I haven't seen any problems with it yet. Okay, fair enough. But have you ever thought about the picture that God has given us gifts in a body of Christ? He says this earlier in chapter 3. He tells us that, and then when we're together, it displays the manifold wisdom of God, that everything about God is displayed when the church, when the bride operates within the gifts that he's given them. Well, just think about you. If this is your home, if this is where you're part of the God's, if God's um, church, this small C church, a part of the greater thing, and you say, oh, I've been doing alone all this time, you know what that means? That means that there's somewhere on that wall, there's a hole because you're not playing the role that God's played you, called you to play in this place. So your choice to be individual, your pride to stand on your own is actually affecting other people, and you just don't see it yet. Um, the Apostle Paul began the household section running right into this in, out of submission and And we had a a wonderful sermon on submission and what that looks like. And ultimately, what I wanted to come back to is, is for us to be standing in the strength and the power of the armor of God, we have to be fully submitted to God. And I bet, because I've seen this in my own life, that there are areas in which we're not submitted. And so my challenge for you guys, my encouragement for you guys, is that you would submit yourself to God's will. You'd submit yourself to his word. Even when it hurts and doesn't feel right and you don't like it, submit yourself to God's word. Trust that the Holy Spirit is doing something big there to bring more glory to not you and your intelligence, but to bring more glory to God. We pray, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and the ability that it has to cut, to cut into me in areas in which I am not aligned or, or submitted to your will. Father, I pray for every individual in this room right now. God, I pray that you'd give them, I thank you for giving them the ability to submit to your will. I pray that you would give them the desire and the strength to walk in it. Lord, I pray that as we look at areas in which we have doubted or distrusted, how would you help us to just see super clearly what is coming from the enemy, what flaming missile is coming from the enemy and needs to just be deflected. And God, help us to see um, areas in our life where we are the flaming missile to others, where we un- unknowingly are lobbing out f- on fire ma- mush- or marshmallows to the people around us. Give us the humility to, to see that and to submit ourselves to you in it, Lord. Father, give us the humility to ask others for help. Father, give us the humility to recognize that I don't get to stand in any strength except for yours. And it is an honor. It is an honor to be clothed in your righteousness. It is an honor to have your armor, and it is the only way I'm gonna be able to stand against the enemy. So God, I pray for every individual in here. I pray as we worship, as we sing, as we give more of our lives to you, God, that you would you would do a mighty work in us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would you would awaken us as we look at your word. Awaken us to the truths of your word. Show us areas in which we have not taken thoughts captive. Show us areas in which we have misaligned ourselves because it just didn't feel right. Show us ways in which we've lost ourselves in intellect and forgotten to love, like the Ephesians do later on in life. Lord, Give us the strength and the ability and the willingness to walk and stand and sit in the power of the risen God. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.